Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Uh, How do you see God? How do you see God? What, What is your perception of him? It's interesting because we all lens God differently. He reveals himself in his word should we take the time to read it and begin to see who he is. And uh, as preachers, we're here to bring out some of those attributes. But just let me read. Hopefully this will flow into a thought tonight because I am an eclectic sort of a guy. I started off uh, with a thought and went all over the world again tonight. But going all over the world in my studies in the last two days, I've enjoyed every stop along the way. It's just how it all ties together, the preacher wants to know. But I, I just want to read... You know, in, in Zephaniah chapter 3.17, it says, uh, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save and he will rejoice over thee with joy. He, he will, you will rest in his love and he will joy over you with singing. There's something you, you don't hear too often. And we had beautiful singers up here tonight. And, and I was really blessed in here. And I, hope, I know you were blessed if you had any sort of an open heart tonight by the worship. And... Uh, but can you imagine that God sings over his people? That's a thought. He rejoices over you with singing. Well, I'm telling you one thing. I, I, you know, there's some singers I, I always wanted to go and hear in concert. But can you imagine hearing the very voice of God singing over you? That's a thought for you tonight. I'm not even going there. I'm just going to put that out there as we come into the word tonight. He would joy over you with singing. Lord, give us a revelation of thyself tonight, O oh God. Psalm 105, verse 39. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to illuminate the night. They asked for, and he brought quail and satisfied them with bread, the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water flowed out and it ran into the dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy word with Abraham. He brought forth his people with joy, and his chosen ones with singing. He's given them the lands of the nations, and they inherited the labor of the people, that they may keep his statutes and keep his laws and praise his holy name. Hallelujah. There we have it again, singing. His chosen ones with singing. The ultimate artist is him, friends. Amen. God doesn't change his mind about you. You know, we talked about in streams there a few weeks ago, streams in the desert. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're tuning in. We had Gary Wilkerson on who's writing a work at the moment on the attributes of God. But one of those attributes is the immutability of God. That means he does not change. He's unchangeable. He still loves you. (laughs) That means he still loves you. It doesn't change. The story doesn't change. There's no plan B for God. Everything's plan A. You know, it's to find you and to love you and to seek you out and to save you. And the whole Bible story is that God is frustrated by by the pollution of sin, but not deterred in his demonstration of love towards us that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. He looks at you with the same value and love as the day that your mother pushed you into this world innocent 
and beautiful before sin's apparent marks became visible in your life. He hasn't changed his love towards you. I just think that is beautiful. Immutability of God. The never changing God. I suppose, friends, we just need to stop for a few moments tonight. And I want you to think about that. Don't just pass it by with an amen. He doesn't change. He hasn't changed. He completely says, I love you all the time. To some stage, you're going to have to stop running down and out the door of the church like the reluctant bride. Do you understand? That he's wooing you and wooing you, but there's always this pulling back. Ah, he couldn't really love me, but we'll go there in a minute. Because that's really the issue, isn't it? The issue is that we don't think we're lovable. Because we know ourselves too well. We look in the mirror. We have to wake up to our thoughts. We have to deal with our excessive behavior and actions and reactions. And so therefore the love of this great God isn't out because we can't see how he could possibly love us. But he says, I love you with an everlasting love. There's a verse in Jeremiah 30. Let me see if I have. I've got a few markings here tonight. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing them good. I will put a desire in their heart to worship me, and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them, and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in my land. Does that tell you something about the passion and love of God? Contrast that tonight against whatever problem or woe that you're in and the temporary suffering that you may, you may be experiencing against this infinite love, this love that is coming after you, friends, is not going to let you go. If you go in the previous chapter, in chapter, in chapter 31, there's a tremendous verse here. It's actually one worth remembering if you want to quote the Bible, Jeremiah 31, 31. It's an easy one to remember. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them and I was a husband that loved his, like, like a husband that loved his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instruction deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Hallelujah. This new covenant, this, this, this promise of guaranteed love, this legally binding contract that God is going to do for the human race and for people that will turn to him. I will rejoice over them. I will always do them good. This is an eternal and everlasting covenant. I will make this everlasting covenant. I will continually rejoice over you and I will continually do you good. Well, that's what the word everlasting means. It doesn't mean seasonal. It doesn't mean if you behave yourself. It doesn't mean if you're up to scratch. It means under the terms of my covenant that I swore by no one greater than myself, bound myself to my own word, made an oath, <laughs> hallelujah, because there's nobody greater. He swore by himself, amen, that he would love you to the end of time and time will never end, friends, into eternity. God's promise to faithfully care for you, for your safety. Well, he's not doing a good job of it now, Pastor. Oh, yes, he is. You don't see the half of it. I don't see the half of it. 
But when the Bible says we see through it last dimly, but then we will see, even as we are fully seeing ourselves. Friends, there's times when there's mists there. There's times, friends, when there's a bit of a fog there. But he's the never-changing God. His presence is with us all the time. I will never leave you, nor turn away from you. Hallelujah. And then I began to think as I was going through all those thoughts in my study today, I began to think of a story that many Christians would know. It's a very well-known story in the Old Testament. And I preached it many times and I love referring to it because I think it's one of those passages that excels about the love of God. Because the whole narrative is the love of God. Now remains these three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. So the whole Bible, Jesus said, when they asked what is the greatest of the commandments, he said, you can sum it all the way up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things, the whole law hangs. So if you want to distill your Bible down to a storyline, is that God is love. And God has made a legal contract to love you. And God is looking only to bless you. And he's immutable, so he doesn't change. And we find that hard to conceive because we change like the Irish weather. <laughs> you know, if you don't like the Irish weather, you wait 10 minutes and it changes again. But that never changes. But there's a beautiful story, and it's found in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have your Bible tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story about King David. King David has become the, the second king of Israel. Saul has died, the first king. Saul really turned against the, the hand of God. You know, he rebelled against God. He was a proud man. He was a man that, that didn't really walk in a divine order. He tried to walk in an order of his own making all the time and really ended up very poorly. But David, the Bible says, is a man after God's own heart, a king. Even though when you read David's life, there's many reckless moments. There's many things in David that are very unlovable, friends, and actually had, and for many people unforgivable not to slate this man. And, uh, but a man of his times and a man that did love God nonetheless and the, and the hand of God was upon him. So at this part of the reading. He is now the second king of Israel, and he has made Jerusalem his capital. So this is the first time Jerusalem has been brought into the kingdom of Israel. The Jebusites up to that time were the owners or the rulers of the Jerusalem city. And so he's there, and so that's your background. If you're not a Bible reader, or you're new to the Bible, or you're a young Christian, this is the background. In your Old Testament, this is part of the story of the history of Israel, leading right up eventually to the history of Christ and the birth of the new church. And uh, one day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake. He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I'm Ziba, replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son, sons is still alive. He's a cripple in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Zeba told him, at the home of Marek, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Marek's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed down low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. 
Mephibosheth replied, I'm your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness to, to be to you because I, I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan. I will give you all the property that was once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and explained, Who is your servant? that you should now show such kindness to a dead dog like me. Suppose we can all relate to Mephibosheth, can we? If you don't know what's going on here, Mephibosheth is the grandson of King Saul. In the time of David taking the throne, an awful lot of bloodletting. In those days, they would try to kill any lineage that would try to lay claim, legal claim to the crown. So David's followers went into a bloodlust after David became king. And they started butchering the family of Saul and Jonathan. And anywhere they could find them, they would butcher them because they didn't want... It wasn't on the instruction of David, but this was just what they did in those time frames. It was evil, it was wicked. And so this man, when he, was, when he was a little boy, when he was actually six years old, this all happened. The house of Saul fell, the house of David rose. And in that time of bloodletting, his nurse very quickly tried to take him from the castle and get out of the castle, bring the child into hiding. And as she was doing that, the child was six years of age. She dropped the little child at six. And uh, he, uh, he, he, the Bible says he dropped, she dropped him on his head and he became a cripple, became paralyzed. And so he lived in fear for all of his life, up to his adult years. He lived in hiding because he is now, he is now the, the dispossessed son of a king. He's fallen. He's on the wrong side of the new king. He's living in shame. He's living in fear. And this is the background of Mephibosheth. And so David, of course, wants to show him kindness. And, you know, we know the story. The Bible readers know it very well. But I was sharing with Patrick before the service. It's amazing when you read these verses again. Other things touch your heart that you've never seen before. So I looked at the word kindness. And as many have, it means, it means a lot more in the Hebrew than it does just in the translation into English. The word kindness here means to stoop down to an inferior to do them good. I want you to think about that for a moment. So you have to start seeing the parallels here. David is a type of God, if you want to put it this way. Mephibosheth is a son of Adam, like all of us, fallen in his, as a child, fallen into sin, broken, cursed because of sin. He's now a cripple. He's no utility. He's living in fear. If you want to put it this way, he's on the wrong side of God. Everything is wrong about this man. He's from the wrong blood lineage. He's on the wrong side of town. And he's right. And David wants to do him good. And you can imagine when he hears these overtures from David, he's probably thinking, yeah, right. You, you, your people killed everybody else. My back will be turned and you'll have me impaled like the rest of them. You know, and how could you possibly love me? I'm not very lovable anyhow. Look at me, I'm a cripple. Even if my father was the king today, I would be looked upon with disdain. Nobody would have a cripple and put him on the seat at the table of a king. Nobody would do that. Everything about Mephibosheth is wrong. Everything about him is broken. Everything about him is, I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. My life's a miserable mess. Look at me physically. I'm crippled. I am dispossessed. I am poor. I'm ugly. I'm not lovable. Look at this dog. And that's how he described himself. How could you show kindness to such a dog? And I began to think, 
for us Christians, that's the very battle in our own hearts when it comes to the overtures of God towards us. We look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm a Christian so many years, but man, I'm such a dog. I just shouted at my wife. I just lost a rag with the kids. I just was excessive again in my behavior and my thinking. And I am not deserving. I'm, I'm an awful person. God can't love me. And so, you know, that's true, isn't it? You could say there's a level of truth to that. You know, you look at your life, if you want to appraise your life that way, Christian, that you're miserable, you're a dog, you're not deserving, you're this, you're that, and you're a woe's me, I'm worse than what the dog bought in, what you, what you bought in your feet from the dog. You might appraise yourself that way, but you know, that's only half the truth. There's an old Jewish proverb that says, half the truth is an entire lie. And I want to remind you tonight, friends, that you have to own the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. See, it's a whole truth. And many here are living by a half a truth. Some of you are watching. You say, what are you on about? I think you might be getting where I'm coming from right now. That as a Christian, even though God has shown his love upon you, you're not seeing the love of God. All you're doing is seeing one half of the truth, and you're living yourself by that half. And if you live by half a truth, you're living a lie, Christian. If you're living by the revelation of your failure, you're living by a lie. And that's many of us. We battle with that all the time. We battle with how can we square the circle that if I am meant to be a Christian, the righteousness of God, if I'm meant to receive the blessing of God into my life, how can that be so when nobody knows me better than myself and I don't deserve it? I'm rotten to the core. I'm not bearing enough fruit. And all these things can flood into you. And you could say these things are true. The devil mostly convicts us of things that are true about ourselves. He does. He mostly condemns us about things that are true about ourselves. You didn't do enough of this. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. Let's be honest. When he comes knocking on our door, and most of the time we don't need the devil to come knocking on our door because he's too busy with bigger fish to fry. All we need to do is listen to our own one-line story about ourselves. And I was thinking about Mephibosheth. Here's a good news message. A gospel message comes to him. David, if you read the start of the passage, he says, is there anyone left to Saul that I can show him kindness because of Jonathan? Now, so some of you don't know what that means, but you have to go back to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 19, I think it is. We won't go there because I, I haven't got the time. But it's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's sometime earlier when David was a younger man before he became king of Israel. He had a very close friendship with Jonathan who was Saul's son, who was the father of Mephibosheth. And when they were young men, Jonathan saw the touch of God upon David. He knew that God had called David to be the next king, even though in the lineage it should have been Jonathan. Jonathan was the king's son. He was first in line for the kingdom, but he knew that he wasn't going to be the king. He saw the touch of God upon this lowly shepherd boy that nobody ever cared about. He saw the anointing of God on him, and they became the best of friends. It was amazing, really. The friendship was a very, very endearing friendship to the point that Jonathan was relinquishing the throne in his heart and saying to David, one day you're going to be king. And you go back to that chapter 20 and you see this incredible story. And John, it says, Jonathan and David, because, because of their passionate friendship, they made a covenant. 
you know, and it was, that was a very big thing. They covenanted. They said as young men, you know, and you know, sometimes when you have a, a close friendship, you know, when you're years ago hanging out in the treehouse with your, with your buddies, you know, playing cowboys and Indians with your best friend. Nobody does that anymore, any do they? I mean, maybe playing PlayStation, whatever. And, oh, you know, I, I will always be the best of friends. When we get older, our kids will be friends. We will look out for each other. You know, we'll always, and, and then, of course, life goes on. And 99.99% of the time, we don't make good in those promises. We just move on to our own busyness of life and uh, our own traumas and troubles. And, of course, it just doesn't seem to work out that way. But with Jonathan and David, they made a covenant. And Jonathan said, you know, promise me. I'm paraphrasing. Go back there and read it tonight. It's a beautiful passage. He said to David, he said, you know, promise me, David, when you're king, that you would do good to my household, to my offspring. And David... Even make your enemies be good to my, my offspring. And interesting is that even at the hand of David's enemies, they have to honor this covenant. Interesting, beautiful thing. So there's this covenant, there's this contract, there's this commitment that is put in all those years earlier. And Mephibosheth, of course, doesn't know anything about that. Mephibosheth wasn't even born. And all these years later, David remembers his covenant. He remembers his covenant with Jonathan. And so he says, is there anyone left that I can show goodness and kindness to? And so Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is looking at all his brokenness. He's on the wrong team. He's on the wrong side of the tracks. He's on the wrong side of the argument. He's a fallen, dispossessed son of a king. He's fallen in sin. He's broken. He's got nothing to offer. There's nothing beautiful about this man on any level. And yet, David comes with that loving heart, and says, I want, to, I want to sit you at the king's table. I want you to eat with me in Jerusalem. I want to restore everything that the devil took from you. I want to restore your lands to you. I want you to restore your crops to you. I'm going to give you a team of people to work, to work the land for you. And there is this sense of, you can imagine with Mephibosheth, when he bowed to the ground, he says, how, how are you going to do this to such a dog as I? And I want to tell you, that is the age-old responsibility of everybody. Because, friends, when we're confronted with such undeserving love, and it is undeserving love, he was on the wrong side. Let me tell you, if, if it was the other way around, if he had the power in his legs, he would have been out there fighting against the same David and calling for his blood and, 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 and chasing him down as they did for many years. His father and all around chased David down to try to kill him many, many times. But I want to tell you, friends, the Bible says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And it's very important when you think about the love of God to do us good. I will never turn away from doing you good. I want to show you kindness. I want to stoop down to an inferior. What love is this, friends, that God Almighty would stoop down to the inferior, you and me, stoop down into this broken world that we're coming in. As Natasha says, we're coming into, you know, with Sunday, we're coming, into, we're coming into a time where we remember Jesus coming into the temple and then leading up to his crucifixion. And we're coming up to a time where, where Christendom all focuses in on the awfulness of the people and their actions and reactions around them, the awful, sinful behavior of the people, the rebellion, nailing him to a cross, friends. While we were crying, you know, release Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. Yet in that place, friends, he came, his love came and met us. His love came and surrounded us with kindness. 
And that only has to do, friends, it all has to do because he made a covenant, a new covenant with his heavenly Father, an everlasting covenant where God the Father and God the Son made an eternal covenant before you were born, before you were ever took your first breath or took your first step or took your first penny out of your mother's purse, friends, before any of that ever happened, before you, before you ever messed up, an eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son existed, where they said that we will make covenant and we will only show your offspring good. We will make a new covenant. I will not turn away from doing you good. And so in that grace that flows to us, friends, you can become so self-centered. You can look at all your failure. You can say, I'm undeserving. And yes, you are undeserving. But he makes you deserving, friends. He brings you in. The whole truth is not the appraisal that you make of yourself. The best person to appraise your life is God himself. And to the Christian, he says, you're clean. To the Christian, he says, you're justified. To the Christian, he said, I don't call you a servant. I call you a friend to the Christian. He said, I brought you in and made you a partaker of the divine nature. I've seated you with my son in the heavenly places. I have given you a new robe, a new name, a new destination, friends, a new identity. So you can look at all your failure and you can sob about it or you can look to the covenant of grace that was made beforehand. I can tell you what Mephibosheth, it's only when he knew that David made a covenant with his, his father all those years ago had the confidence to take in the blessing and friends it's only when you have a revelation of what God the Father and God the Son did when they agreed that they would bypass humanity and they would go into a cooperation to save your soul because they love you you're loved by God the Father not because he just loves you but because he also promised Christ he'd love you he said anyone who comes to you Jesus I will in no wise cast him out Anyone who's yours, Jesus, I'll bless them. Anyone that owns the name of Jesus, anyone that bows their, their knee to you, Jesus, I will show them kindness because of the blood of your covenant, because of the blood of thy cross, because of the blood of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, given to you, hallelujah, broken for you, because of that blood of that covenant, Jesus, because of your body being broken and your blood being shed, because you poured out your life upon a cross, I will show them good. I will do them no harm. I will rejoice over them with singing. I will plant them in the land. I will establish with them. I will give them vineyards. All these speak to spiritual purpose, friends, not just in the Newtonian physical world. It's talking about the bigger parts of our being, friends, the eternal parts. The powerful parts. And so if you want to appraise yourself by your failure tonight, Christian, I want to tell you, you're going to live in constant defeat because you're only living by half a truth and half a truth is a full lie. And so many Christians, this is for Christians tonight, it's for non-Christians too in other applications, but I feel tonight to say to you, Christian, stop living a lie. Live by the whole truth. The whole truth is, yes, I've fallen. Yes, i failed. Yes, I have a misery in my natural person. But that counts for nothing compared to the glory that is now, that has arrived since the covenant of grace has owned me, grafted me in, adopted me. I didn't adopt myself. He adopted me. I didn't justify myself. He justified me. I didn't call myself righteous. He calls me righteous. I didn't presume friendship with God. He calls me friend. I didn't make up these concepts. Salvation is the Lord's delight, friends. 
Salvation is the Lord's concept. Salvation is the Lord's device. There are His decrees. This is His covenant of grace to you. This is His covenant of mercy. And when we get a revelation of that, friends, it gives us a boldness to go into His presence in time of need. When we live in an understanding of the covenant of grace, friends, it means when I fall, I never run from Him. I run to Him. Hallelujah. I don't know where you've been in the last year with COVID. Maybe it's been the darkest hole of your year. It matters not, friends, because his love never changed. Not for a second. What happened in that year is that you just looked at your failure and the failure of everybody else, and you just ruined it for yourself. But come out of it now in Jesus' name. Look at the whole truth and nothing but the truth, not a half a truth. A half a truth is a distortion of the reality. A half a truth is a lie. It's a full lie. But the whole truth is this, friends. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what a wonderful job he did. When he did that job at Calvary, he did an excellent job. He did a complete job. He did a full job, friends. Nothing to be added. Nothing could be taken away from it, friends. My glory I will share with no other. There's nothing you can do to make him, make him love you anymore. I love you any less. Oh, Mephibosheth. Yeah, you old dog. But I want to tell you, you've got a new name now. And you've got a new position. You're a son. You're sitting at the table. You've been brought in. What a mighty gospel we have, friends. We need to remind ourselves. Oh, don't be looking at just that narrow version of yourself. But as you begin to look to the higher truth of the justification of God and the legal basis in which he did a true Christ, then you start to live by that nature, friends. Then the supernatural starts to lift you up to a higher realm. And the vices that seem to hold you back and beyond flattering become less and less because your eyes are lifted towards the one and only. As I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. As I lift up the covenant of his grace, as I understand that his kindness was to stoop down to the inferior, that's me, to do me good. Well, there was only one thing I have to learn from that, is learn how to say thank you very much hallelujah learn to say thank you learn to say thank you Jesus learn to say oh God this is what you say that's the report that I'm believing in that's what I'm believing in Lord that's what I'm holding on to I'm trusting what you say about me because nothing else can save me nothing else can change me this has to be a work of God from beginning to end and so it is friends is there anyone around belonging to Jonathan, that I can bless. Christian, tonight, the blessing of God is all over you. You just need to open your eyes and see it. The hand of God is all over you. You belong to him. You need to start declaring that and thanking him. And stop registering all your faults like a calculus in the back of your head and thinking, I'll probably get to Thursday with this message. It'll keep me going two days, then I'll fall again. Don't live like that. Don't live your life in speculations to your next failure or your falling, I guarantee you that's only going to hasten the day. <laughs> but when you lift with your eyes lifted on Jesus, when you live with your eyes lifted towards Christ, what a joy. What a supernatural impact that will happen in your life. And Mephibosheth enjoyed you know, with his dangly legs under that table, not able to move. He couldn't even get there. They'd have to pick him up. Can you imagine? You know, you can't even get there. You're so down in the floor at the moment. Some of us are so wretchedly broken because of our own failures and other failures. We can't make it. But you know what? All you need to do is use your voice tonight and say, thank you. And he'll pick you up and he'll seat you in heavenly places. And he'll make you put a new robe on you and you'll dine at the king's table. Hallelujah. 
He rejoices over you with singing. He's immutable. He doesn't change tonight. So lift your eyes off yourself and put your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. That's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's the gospel story. God who never changes in his love. His plan is steadfast for you. He doesn't see your sin. He put it on Jesus. And he says, look to me and live. And if you just look to him again tonight and raise a hand even in your chair, wherever you are, and say, thank you, Jesus. I look to what you say about me. I'm not listening to what I say about myself anymore, Lord. I'm just a total idiot when it comes to appraising these situations. I take your appraisal and I bless you, Jesus, and mean it. And as you do, I can tell you, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God will come and give you the victories of Calvary. You'll begin to see fruit in keeping repentance because it's the fruit that he'll bring. Because it is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of your discipline. Not the fruit of your religious abilities. Not the fruit of your commitments to him. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. He will give you without measure tonight. Father, as we close the service tonight, Lord, as we just had a simple look at the historical Mephibosheth, and we see ourselves in him, Lord. We thank you tonight, God, that you are far greater than even David, Lord. And David bought Mephibosheth, Lord, and it's a type. And David had his moments, God, but there was no changing in you, Father. And we thank you tonight, Lord, that through the covenant of Christ, that we can come, Lord, in the eternal covenant, that you have promised you will never cease from doing us good, that you rejoice over us with singing. And so we bless you tonight. We thank you for your grace. We remind ourselves of your grace. And we thank you for stooping down to the inferior to do us good. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.